0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your
1: host, Jason Davis.
0: Here we go, Soccer Morning on a Tuesday. Thank you very much for joining us here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Excited, excited, excited to have you today. Big day, big show. Lots to talk about, whether it's a continued discussion of the state of the U.S. men's national team, some news about where they'll play a home qualifier. We've got Mexico in the news, clearly. Vladimir Putin putting his two cents in on one of the biggest prizes known to mankind. And the worthiness of one set bladder. We'll get to that in the news here in a second. First, let me just go ahead and prime the pump. Charlie Bohm from SoccerWire, MLSSoccer.com, and USSoccerPlayers.com will join us in a couple of minutes, and we will have a discussion with Charlie about the... U.S. Women's National Team players, the conquering U.S. Women's National Team players, returning from their World Cup triumph and taking a bit of time, taking their old sweet time getting back to the NWSL and the competing interests therein and exactly why these things happen and who might be pulling some strings when it comes to these big U.S. Women's National Team stars. So that's coming up very shortly. We may range into some other areas with With Charlie as well, including MLS and the U.S. men's national team. Let's do the headlines here this morning. First up, Miguel Herrera, the continuing drama over his reported hitting of a reporter at the Philadelphia airport yesterday. Rumors swirling that he will be fired today. He does have a meeting with Mexican soccer officials at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, That could be the end. Now, I watched... Uh, I watched uh, Univision last night looking for the video, the supposed smoking gun video showing Miguel Herrera striking the reporter in question at the airport in Philadelphia. And what I saw did not prove a damn thing. I don't know if Miguel Herrera hit anybody, but it's certainly not on video. If there's evidence of this incident that exists, the public hasn't seen it. Perhaps the FMF has seen it. Uh, The story goes that the... Security cameras in that particular area of the Philadelphia airport were down and not working, which just makes you really glad to to, to go to Philadelphia and fly out of there, doesn't it? Or fly into there, for that matter. Uh, Miguel Herrera may lose his job, but there's a very strong whiff of politics and the competing television interests in this. And we know this is how Mexico operates. This is not new when it comes to uh, the hiring and firing of coaches very often Big name players within the Mexican television world have a say in how these things go. I will say that based on what we know, based on the evidence at hand, if Miguel Herrera is fired today, it's a travesty. If he's fired based on that incident, it's flat out wrong. Didier Drogba has officially been announced as a a Montreal Impact player. Joey Saputo says it's an honor to welcome Didier Drogba to the Impact. From the first conversation I had with him, I felt that he really wanted to play in Montreal. This is one of the biggest days in club history and his arrival to the club will be beneficial in every aspect. Now, Chicago Fire, who uh, had the discovery claim on Didier Drogba and were in line to sign him if he chose to play in Chicago, have been compensated with allocation money that they then turned around and used to bring Gilberto back to MLS. The Brazilian striker formerly of TFC has joined the Chicago Fire. In fact, the Fire... Perhaps a little salty over the way things went down with Mr. Drogba. Uh, Let's slip that Drogba was officially a Montreal Impact player before the Montreal Impact did. So a little gamesmanship within MLS, which is fun and exciting. Michel Platini is expected to announce his candidacy for the FIFA presidency uh, in the next few days. A source close to the former French international told Reuters on Tuesday. Platini is 60 years old. He has been UEFA president since 2007 and is widely expected to throw his hat into the ring to succeed Sepp Blatter, who, of course, will be replaced as FIFA president early next year. February 26th is when the special elective Congress will be held in Zurich. Now, uh, Platini is such a shoe in that he is the far and away odds-on favorite with the bookies. He is not necessarily a reform candidate. Uh, He is certainly a man who is notorious for having backed the Qatari World Cup bid and the close ties between the Qataris and French football officials and French government officials have been uh, have been noted in regards to Platini and his leadership, both of UEFA and his potential leadership of FIFA. U.S. Soccer has announced that there will be a World Cup qualifier played in St. Louis at uh, St. Louis's Bush Stadium that is home of the St. Louis Cardinals. Yes, that's a baseball stadium. This game will take place on November 13th of this year. It'll feature the United States versus the winner of the St. Vincent and Grenadines and Aruba match, which is a third-round qual- CONCACAF qualifying matchup pitting two of the lower-ranked sides in the region. Tickets go on sale August 5th at 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, St. Louis fans and people going to that game can get them at ussoccer.com. Questions as to whether there was, there's a, it's smart to play a game on a baseball field, but uh, this is going to be a special event for St. Louis, and certainly I I would argue it probably beats putting down the sod over the top of the artificial surface in the, uh, the dome there in St. Louis. And of course, this is smack dab in the middle of football season, so I imagine it would be difficult to schedule around the St. Louis Rams uh, with this game happening in November. Russian President Vladimir Putin, because we know that we need his take on this very issue, has said that Sepp Blatter should be given the Nobel Prize. People like Blatter deserve special recognition, said Vladimir Putin. Let's have Nobel Prizes for people like that. On Saturday, Blatter told Putin that the Russian people can be proud of him. This is at the at the World Cup qualifying draw in St. Petersburg on Saturday. Vladimir uh, Putin said in a Swiss interview recorded on Saturday in St. Petersburg that he was sure Blatter was not corrupt. He added, by making allegations against FIFA, the Americans and the, their allies in Britain were continuing the fight the World Cup bidding contest. Both the United States and Britain obviously lost. You, the United the uh, sorry, England lost the bid for the twenty eighteen, uh for the twenty twenty-two and twenty eighteen World Cup bids, respectively. So, you know, if Vladimir Putin has any say in it, uh Vladimir will get that Nobel Prize, he's so uh he so uh, so covets. Edison Cavani has been suspended for two matches for Uruguay after his confrontation with Chile's Gonzalo Gonzalo. Hara at the Copa America. Remember Hara put his finger somewhere he shouldn't have. Uh, Cavani reacted and now Cavani will miss two matches, uh, in World Cup qualifiers for Uruguay. I'm trying to find which matches he'll actually miss. Uh, those are actually scheduled. Bolivia and Colombia on October 8th and October 12th. Uh, Oscar Tavares has also been, the head coach of Uruguay, has also been suspended for three matches from the sideline for something he did. I don't even know. This is whatever. It's ridiculous. You get a finger in a place, you respond. I don't care who you are. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, Charlie Bohm will join us. good old friend, Charlie Boehm from MLS Soccer, Soccer Wire, and U.S. Soccer Players. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Facing the crowd.
1: You're talking too loud.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back. We are live. We are Tuesday. Well, we're not Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. Let's have a discussion about the U.S. women's national team, those players who lifted a World Cup in Canada, and the protracted uh, story that is their return to the NWSL with Charlie Bohm from Soccer Wire, which is where the piece in question is posted. He also writes at MLSsoccer.com ussoccerplayers.com and i'm sure many other places he is at cboehm on twitter charlie how are you this morning doing great. great glad to be here with you jason it's it's good to have you okay so the headline to your piece over at soccer wire which people absolutely 100 percent have to read is what's taken the u.s women's national team so long to return to nwsl action and i think it's a question a lot of people have been asking uh, that it it while it's okay and understandable that they had a a celebration tour of some type, and you, you just won a World Cup, and that hasn't happened in 16 years, there was there's a feeling that this has been going on too long. First of all, let's take stock: who's returned and who hasn't returned, and I know that we have a couple of injuries in the mix as well.
2: Yeah, Jason, I don't have a, a, a lineup in front of me or you know a roster sheet to to run down it individually, but I can tell you that uh, there were players. Uh, Rejoining their teams at least to make appearances, uh, and, and, uh, you know, be honored, uh, at their NWSL matches, uh, as little as one week after the World Cup final in Vancouver on the, uh, the 5th of July. So there were teams back in their markets, um, you know, in a, in a week's time, but they're, they're in terms of actually making their returns to the field and playing. In match action, um, that was kind of a trickle. Um, I think it was the first players were back maybe a week and a half, two weeks or so after um, after the World Cup final, and then there was a round of players that only just this past weekend made their uh, debuts to you know return to match mm-hmm. action. So it's kind of been, um, and this is what made me sort of um, interested to dig into this a little bit more. It was it was a an uneven sort of situation, and it wasn't clear what the pattern or what the what the plan was for this. So That's kind of what this grew out of.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of competing interest here. Uh, Clearly, the NWSL teams want their star players back as soon as possible to capitalize on all the momentum created by the Women's World Cup. U.S. soccer may want to publicize the victory as much as possible to bring more attention to the team and to the program, et cetera, and so forth. The players themselves have various interests in, in when to go back to their NWSL teams and how much to push the envelope on, on their notoriety. Because let's be, let's be fair to them. You know, earning power is the thing that, that is fleeting sometimes, Charlie. And, and I guess how do we line these things up? And, and, and really is it fair to just say that the NWSL clubs have a, you know, that the, they have been wronged here. Is that, is that fair or are we going too far if we say it that way?
2: No, I don't think this is a black and white scenario by any means. And, and I tried to do my best um, without running into uh, many thousands of words. I tried to shade out some of those variations in, in the piece because, uh, you know, these players are world champions and most of their male counterparts, for example, you know, when Germany won the World Cup in Brazil last summer, they had weeks, if not more than a month of recovery time, uh, you know, both physical, psychological, mental, after you know, a really draining tournament. And we all saw what happened to the men's national the US men's national team when they came back, uh, even just from a, a four-game, you know, round of 16 run, there was mental and physical exhaustion, and it was clear, and some of them are, are only just now really getting back to their best soccer. So um there there is a case to be made for these players getting an extended break. Um, but the nature of the beast in women's soccer is that the, the the domestic season here in the United States is uh you know it's a summer season, it's a spring to fall season, and multiple sources made it clear to me that that there had been an uh, an a, whoa, was described to me as an ironclad agreement in writing between NWSL uh, owners who are you know they run their league. It is it is um sort of a a branch of of U.S. soccer, if that makes sense. Um, it's underwritten by U.S. soccer. U.S. soccer pays the salaries of the, the big players, the national team stars. Um, but NWSL owners still have a lot of um, freedom. They, they get to vote uh, and decide matters as a group. Um, but apparently, the owners, the players, the federation all had agreement. These players would be back in market uh, within five days uh, after the, the, the conclusion of the World Cup. Um, you know, these players leave their national team camp at any time they gather for national team events. Um, they're medically evaluated when they arrive. They're medically evaluated when they leave. And they're deemed either fit or unfit to play upon their departure. And so, um, you have that question. Can these players physically, mentally, are they prepared to, to, to resume club play? And then there was the sort of more murky question of, you know, is this the right time? Are they ready? What do they deserve as individuals? What does the national team deserve in terms of promotion? What does NWSL deserve in terms of promotion? And it's it's uh the, the interests uh, sometimes point in the same direction, but they're they don't all necessarily align. So it's it a complex situation.
0: And, and it, you know, I I think what was uh, fascinating to take out of your piece as well is sort of the. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know the NWSL operates on a shoestring budget. I think uh, a lot of people are learning just how stu- shoestring that budget really is, and, and obviously there are practical reasons for that. I mean, after the death of WUSA and WPS, there are it's smart to run a league with a budget in mind, especially as— you know growing the fan base is is something that's not going to come overnight and you're not going to have a large influx of cash but what we've got here is as the incubation of women's soccer has happened over the last 30 years for the women's national team the women's national team has become such an elite unit uh you know and Mm it's so highly funded charlie as compared to the to the club game that you have uh i mean for lack of a better word sort of a closed off click of players who it's been pointed out and not by you, but, but I believe this was a direct quote by, by one of your sources that they don't necessarily want to open up and allow people, uh, players to get better in W in, in NWSL to compete for the spots that they hold because those are cushy spots that bring them good incomes. Well, you
2: know, the, the killer app, as I've described in the past of, of NWSL, the idea that was supposed to make this league more sustainable more affordable and and make it work for the long term in a way that its predecessors did not was, you know, getting the Canadian, the Mexican, and the United States Federations together, um, you know, uh, attaching league participation to the national team duties of the player, you know, pool of those national teams. Um, The idea was that would, you know, give these players a place to play. It would take, you know, them being star players, it would take those biggest salaries off uh, the backs of the owners and the clubs in order to give them more you know uh, more of a fighting chance financially um but the, the the i think the unforeseen consequence that resulted from that situation is is that you now have something of a conflicting loyalty right you have players who maybe been part of the national team longer than NWSL has existed right and you're asking them to to, to carry a dual allegiance and we all take that for granted at the men's level right, right. these players are you know Clint Dempsey is, has loyalty to the Seattle Sounders but he also has loyalty to his country um, and, and there's there's certainly complications in terms of the you know those interests aligning but for the most part we know he's gonna do everything he can for his country but then he goes home to the club that pays him that employs him year-round in the women's game it's a different matter especially with the women's national team where those players are full-time employees of the federation and thus they are you know if they feel that their spot has been earned already um, they may not necessarily be as inclined to go out and have to prove that every day in a much more bare bones environment at, at the NWSL level. You know, I mean, as I detailed in the piece, the experience these players have is so different on national team duty than it is on, on NWSL duty. Um, and we just saw just yesterday, you know, the news was officially released by U.S. Soccer that two players are retiring at the end of this season. Uh, Lauren Holiday and Shannon Box. They're both going to spend time with the, uh, the, the, the victory tour. Um, but one is going to finish out her season with FC Casey and, and Lauren Holly says she's motivated to win a second straight NWSL title with her club. Whereas Shannon Box, who spent really more time with the national team than with her club because of injuries and a variety of other factors, is not going to return to the Chicago Red Stars. So, uh, it, it's a, it's a tough situation. I don't necessarily blame players for feeling allegiance to their club, their national team over their club. Um, but it means that you, you don't necessarily have a, a fully equitable situation.
0: Right. I mean, it, it, it boils down to the fact that they're making the, the, the lion's share of, of their income comes from the national team. Certainly that's the higher profile team. It gets more attention. Uh, you know there there's a lot much larger fan base, let's be honest about it. Uh, and mm-hmm. they're not making their money at the club level. And the players that are all at the club level that aren't part of the national team, Meanwhile, just to put this into some context because this is outlined in your story, they can be paid as little as $6,800 a year, a season, and the maximum wage in mm-hmm. the league is $37,800 maximum. So the national teamers are making 10 times that much money, Charlie, in, in some cases, from the national mm-hmm. team. And, and the, even the best players in NWSL who are not national teamers aren't even topping out at 10% of that salary. So it's obviously, it's obviously a very strange situation.
2: It is, it's especially odd to hear, you know, I, I applaud those who are, um, who become aware of the, the discrepancy in, in World Cup bonus winnings between the men and the women, which is something like, what, 35 million for winning the men's World Cup versus 2 million for the women's World Cup. I, I think that's an issue to be addressed and discussed. Um, but it is odd to hear people advocate for paying, uh, the U.S. women's national team more. Uh, when they are by far at the top of the pyramid, not just in American women's soccer, but in world soccer, women's soccer, no one is making anywhere near as much money as them. No one is is has access to anywhere near as many uh, sponsorship opportunities. You know, you have my general, you know, from, from tax documents and other sources, we can say that women's national teamers are making anywhere between 150 dollars to $300,000 uh, sort of base pay per year. And then this year they're going to make significantly more than that because of the bonus money from winning the World Cup and the bonus money from these victory tour matches, which are which are significant payday for both the federation and the players.
0: You know, Charlie, I, I this, obviously the, this is part of the legacy of, of the Ninety Nine ers, and I don't I don't begrudge any athlete considering how short the window of athletic prominence is the right to go earn as much money as they possibly can. I, I don't. If a player makes a move because they get a bigger contract, good for them because you never know when you're going to tear a ligament or, or break something or it's just going to all go away. But at the same time, it does sort of crystallize the problem here that the the women's club game is at such a disadvantage. It almost brings to mind the very question. And now that we're on the third attempt at a league in this country, there's reason to wonder if it's even possible to grow the club game organically because there is this gigantic impediment in the way, and that is the popularity, the, 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 the profitability um, of the women's national team, the, the clout that those players have once they walk into that team, once they're given a spot. I, I don't want to be fatalistic about it, but how does, a, how does a club league go about getting itself off the ground when there is always going to be this looming shadow that is the U.S. women's national team? Well, you know, a U.S.
2: soccer source that I, sp- I spoke with last week emphasized that, you know, the source felt that there was too much negativity around this matter. That all the exposure that these players are getting by going on the, you know, going to to the award shows, the ESPYS, uh, you know, the the talk shows, that all that is prices exposure for the game as a whole, and that the, the rising tide lifts all boats, and and what benefits the women's national team will benefit NWSL and and it should be all seen in a positive light. Um, but the issue is, you know, there's this confusion about Um, who is looking out for who, you know, I think people assumed when NWSL was founded and there's, you know, more than a million dollars a year of us soccer federation funding is going towards it. You know, the, the, the federation explicitly created and is explicitly pledged to support this professional league. And, And yet it appears not only, you know, we, we talked about, well, during the world cup, well, should there be more cross promotion? Should the NWSL, you know, be running ad spots? which is effectively a question that should be asked to the Federation, you know, that the yeah. NWSL yeah. Is, would be working with the Federation on this, but my understanding, I was told that the Federation made an explicit decision not to do that, not to, to to promote NWSL during the Women's World Cup, which is a little bit baffling, but when you when you spend more time around the situation, the Federation simply views it as a lower priority. The Federation is not going to put anything NWSL-related ahead of its goals and and, um, and plans for the women's national team, which is the cash cow that effectively underwrites so much of NWSL. But obviously there's, there's that tension there. You know, it, it's, it's unclear uh, how you can raise the prominence of NWSL. And I think there's a tough education process. These 26 million people that watch the world women's world cup final, these explosive, enormous ratings and these huge audiences, how many in that audience understand that, you know, the, 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 the thing that makes this team so good is depth is competition is a league to play in year round. I think that's a, that's a a message that maybe a lot of the casual fans haven't quite absorbed.
0: Yeah. And you know, you did point this out earlier and I just want to come back to it. The, the, this issue of the differing conditions under which these players play when they're with the national team versus when they're with their NWSL team. I mean, here's your, uh, here's just a, a key graph in, in your story. Travel is done on the cheap with long bus rides between all but most, but the most far flung locales, and most clubs can count their number of full time employees on one or two hands. Outside of soccer, bad Portland NWSL crowds rarely hit five figures, and all but a handful of regular season games are broadcast only on YouTube. Uh, for star mm-hmm. players, it's often a jarring step down, even from their experiences at major N- NCAA college programs. So you're you're essentially, you know, let's. I mean, this is not a. This is not necessarily a criticism on the NWSL, which which is is trying to grow, and this is not for lack of trying. Um, but this is uh this is lack of professionalization. I mean, it's lack of, of professionalism around the league, and that's just a ba- a matter of money, Charlie.
2: To a large extent, you know, and but uh, and a lot of those were conscious decisions. You know, the the WSA, the the first women's pro league at the turn of the century, you know. Was really bullish in the wake of the 1999 Women's World Cup and the, and the U.S. Championship there. And they blew through $100 million in less than three years. You know, enormous amounts of money. Money that, you know, they had more money in some ways than MLS did it back at that time. You know, WPS tried to, tried to, to, to kind of taper that model and, and, and tweak it. And anybody sells essentially blown that all out of the water. This is a, a an unapologetically shoestring league because they've got to make it a winning proposition or at least a break even proposition for their owners. Um, they've got to to limit the the player the spending on player salaries, which is was the biggest, you know, cost I think in those first two leagues. Um, so that means that players, are, you know, players aren't paid what they're worth. I think they would say that, and I think most executives in the league would acknowledge that too. But it's it's all about trying to find a way forward uh, that's sustainable. And so there's, you know, I know in the case of the lo- the local team here, the Washington Spirit, they they'd done all the modeling coming into the birth of the league. They felt like if they got Three, I think it was the 3,500 to 5,000 a night for their home games. That that was going to get them to a break-even level, or at least a you know a sustainable loss. And I, I think people need to have some some understanding for the day-to-day grind that these clubs are, are going through. I mean, MLS is still figuring out how to make money, much less significant amount uh, amounts of it across the board. And the Blue in the same boat. You know, the the Portland Thorns made money. Um, there's other clubs that are losing a significant amount of money. So. Uh, it's easy to spend other people's money in principle, but um, for the time being, you know this is what they've got, this is what they've got to work with. Maybe down the road when they grow past the nine teams they are at now, maybe more MLS teams buy in. Um, there's a few soccer specific stadium projects around the country that are pending that that would make a great home for an NWSL team down the line. So again, maybe there's an economy of scale here. Um, but it has to be said, even given all those financial limitations, many would argue it's still the top quality pro league and it's, it's arguable, but it's one of the top quality pro leagues in the world, even on those, those meager resources.
0: Well, But that that says something about the state of the women's game at the club level, doesn't it?
2: There's this, the, the, no other nation can match the depth, uh, and the, in the strength of the, the player pool here in the United States. And then over on top of that, because of the contrasting, uh, season schedules, you can draw a lot of. Uh, world stars over from Europe or, or from Japan in some cases, there's, you know, there's, there's still an attractiveness to coming to play in the States in the off season. So, um, you know, there's women that are effectively between loan deals and going playing in different countries, they're playing almost year round, uh, one, so they can stay sharp and two, so they can, you know, they can continue to make money year round. And I think that, that, you know, that experience, uh, there's a lot to be said for that. And those women deserve a lot of credit for doing that. Um, so I think, yeah, I think you know the NWSL the quality of play, I think it's going to continue to grow. Um you know it's it's maybe not quite what people are accustomed to have have watched in the last month or so here with the Women's World Cup. Um but if you invest a little bit, you know, it, you you can get a lot out of this league in terms of watching it, paying attention, there's some very interesting storylines and that sort of thing. So, uh it's just a question I think of of uh, you know giving this baby t- time to grow.
0: Sure. Time is always the uh, the key factor here just making sure these clubs Exist. I've been preaching that with MLS for a very long time, or any club, any professional club in the United States, men's, women, whatever level. Just keep existing somehow. Whatever you need to do uh, to keep those fans engaged and to keep that fan base growing. Charlie, one element we haven't, one factor we really haven't talked about in the in this the delayed return of some of these players to their team is is sort of the agent angle. I mean, you mentioned this. Um, how large of a role do agents play? In how the big name stars from the u s women's national team go about their business uh, month to month week to week
2: that's significant you know for the players that are um that are considered you know major figures that are marketable figures that have personas that that transcend the game um their agents and and agencies uh, in a lot of cases here are full service outlets they're they're gonna help you with your social media they're not just gonna negotiate your contract they're gonna They're going to build your personal brand. They're going to help you ink sponsorship deals. Uh, they're going to help you connect with your fans better. So it's a, it's sort of a full stop, you know, a a one stop shop, I should say. Um, you know, there's a lot of value that comes from that. Um, the issue is, you know, there's, there's only, you know, because of the salaries are smaller, there's a lot of agents who are working for free in this business. And I give them a lot of credit who are working for very small amounts whose women's soccer, uh, branch is maybe built off of more profitable uh, representation of other sports. And, other, you know, um, that, ge- that being said, you know, these agents are, are looking out for their players and these players are are doing the same in a lot of cases, you know, they are, I, I think, and I won't speak for any of them, but I think that a lot of these players feel like this is a very rare moment. They have a very rare window in the, in the sun and not just the soccer media's attention, but in the, the mainstream spotlight, and so they're determined to max it out. Um, and you have to give them credit. I mean, there's when even players who aren't necessarily uh, established stars or established starters are, are, are inking big sponsorship deals. You know, there's, there's money to be made there. There's exposure to be gained. I think where it got complicated or messy was uh, w- despite the fact that players or sorry, that, uh, that, that the Federation and the clubs of NWSL thought they had an agreement Things got a little messy. Players, it was a question literally of, is this player going to get on this plane to be at this time uh, in that week or two after the, the Women's World Cup final? And that was where, you know, it ended up sort of the egg flew on on NWSL's face and, and the Federation's face. But in a sense, you know, and, and I think the Federation probably looked worse because, okay, where are your players? Are they reporting, you know, where they're supposed to be? They're at your event. Or, are, are they at their NWSL event and so forth? But my understanding is, and you know, even guys like uh, major figures like Darren Ravel were ripping NWSL clubs for um, maybe not always making it super clear uh, what women's World Cup stars were going to be where and were they going to be on the field. But in a lot of cases, they didn't know. They'd entered that period thinking they had an agreement with the players in the federation. The federation thought they had that sorted out. The player, they thought that their players would be responsive. Uh, yeah. To the agreement they had ba- made, and it wasn't always the case.
0: Sure. And, and just again, just goes to show you that the clubs have limited influence or not equal partners in all of this. I mean, the, the federation might not knowing is, is an indication of something, too. But clearly, if the clubs were. As influential as a, as the men's clubs are in the in the in the careers of their players, and certainly they're paying the the the, sh- the salaries in those cases, the uh, most of the money those players make comes from their clubs. Then then they're they're going to know, or they're going to be players in this. They're going to be demanding things. They're going to be in communication. That's not necessarily the case here. Um, a couple of things, uh, Charlie. And by the way, Darren Ravel. I know some people don't like him too much. He made good points in the, in these tweets that Charlie embedded in the story uh, at Soccer Wire. Um, Carly Lloyd was traded from the Western New York Flash to the Houston Dash last year. She's obviously the big-name star in terms of her play coming out of the World Cup, scoring the hat trick in the final. She scored on the weekend against, uh, against the Flash. This is, this is a little mini-controversy. Is this, is this ultimately good for, for NWSL, or is this the kind of thing they need to avoid right now? Well, I think
2: this is a question we 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 debate on the men's side as well, especially in the MLS context, right? Everybody wants to have press, but then they they typically want to want only get good press, and they and they lash out against bad press. But to me, if if Darren Revell is talking about you, even if you don't agree with what he says, or or if he, you don't feel he's being fair, um, you you grab what you can and, and you use that to sort of. Uh, Um, wrench your way into into the debate into the wider spotlight Mm -hmm. and I think in the case of Carly Lloyd absolutely I mean this is a um, (laughs) the timing here is is kind of is kind of fortuitous in a sense for us at least for the popcorn eating masses because she's at her maybe at her career's peak right now Um, she's playing excellently she's a she's recognized right now as the top player in the world she's a World Cup uh, match winner um and she happens to run into the team that that she felt uh did her did her wrong in the offseason and as i tweeted afterwards you know for her to go public it's it's a little bit late now it's a, it's you know months and months after the deal was made but she was she was fuming for weeks and weeks after that deal was made in fact i was told that she was threatening uh, retirement that's how angry she was about mm. the trade to houston um, you know, cause it took her away from, from her, um, her personal trainer, her coach, James Galanis. She took her away from her roots. You know, she's a lot farther from her New Jersey home now. You know, and all those things are, are things that every player has to contend with. You know, if you're traded, if you have to make a move for career reasons. Um, in her case, um, she's run into this team. It's given her convenient motivation to continue playing at a high level. And I think it's great, great for the league. And if, if, uh, if players want to continue to, to, to talk that way and, and be that outspoken in the press, Go for it. You know, just recognize we're probably going to be waiting for you to to raise your game uh, on the field as well as in front of the microphones.
0: All right, last thing here, Charlie, something of a ph- ph- philosophical question for NWSL, but also a, obviously a practical marketing issue. How difficult is it for that league to develop stars that don't play for the U.S. women's national team?
2: Well, we have to we have to point out there's already a couple of successes, even with a very established uh, women's national team group coming into this World Cup cycle. Several of the most important players probably wouldn't be on that team if it wasn't for NWSL. I mean, Julie Johnson was on the outs. She was, wasn't even named to the CONCACAF uh, World Cup qualifying roster last year. Uh, and then she goes from from on the outside there to uh, hauling herself into a starting spot and being you know, uh, one of the best players of the tournament. I think that should give fans a, a hint as to just how many other players are out there. I think there's a lot more players that can make that kind of impact if they get the opportunity. Um, but you know she owes her chance in large part to to playing well on a on a week in week out basis with the Chicago Red Stars. Um, you know Ashlyn Harris got the you know won a crowded uh, competition for the uh, the backup spot behind Hope Solo in large part because she was one of the NWSL's best goalkeepers. So I think there's a lot more players out there that can make that sort of impression. And I think I mean personally I would argue that there are more that could have wrenched their way onto the the World Cup roster if there'd been a little bit more uh openness on the part of jill ellis you know to call those players in but you know let's hope that that ellis turns the page at some point it may not come between now and the olympics next summer she may stick with her incumbent roster for the next year but at some point sooner or later there's going to be turning of the page and there's going to be nwsl standouts who are going to get the chance to shine for their country and i think people will be surprised at
0: how high the level remains all right, Charlie Boehm, MLSsoccer.com, SoccerWire.com. Go find this story about the return of the U.S. women to the NWSL at SoccerWire.com. He also writes with me at USsoccerplayers.com. Charlie, before I let you go, last question here is do you know uh, do you know where Precky is? Where's Precky?
2: <laughs> uh, I've put in a few inquiries because I'm curious because uh, he's uh, one of my favorite characters in the in the American game. Um, I, I don't. It's very unclear what's happened with Preki. It's a it's a whole different um, dogfight over worried. there in England. Um, <laughs> I'm so but worried. But my guess is, my guess is, if, if things didn't work out the way he expected them to in England, he is um, he's he's back in his Chicago, where he had lived before taking the Sacramento job, which is where um, he'd made his home uh, after leaving Toronto. So. That would be my guess,
0: right, but Charlie? I don't have confirmation. I just, <laughs> I just hope that somebody didn't make Precky a promise and then renege on that promise because I don't know that that's something you want to do to Precky. That's all I'm saying.
2: <laughs> Precky's a no-nonsense guy, and yeah. I don't think it'll be too long before he works again, but then again, it, he had to wait a, a shamefully long time to get his gig he did. in Sacramento, he did. so we shall see.
0: Yep, let's see if MLS team brings him back, yeah, as you mentioned, maybe, uh, maybe Chicago. Charlie Boehm joining us on Soccer Morning. Charlie, thank you very much for your time. You can continue your drive now. I appreciate it. <laughs> My pleasure, Jason. There goes uh, Charlie. Good stuff from him. When we come back, the phone lines will be open. You can answer for me, where is Preki? We'll talk about MLS, U.S. Women's National Team, all of those things. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. i got five broke strings Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on a Tuesday edition of Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you very much for listening, for joining in. Phone lines are open 646 832 3909. We are also on Twitter at Soccer morning and at DavisJSN. I am happy to take your comments and criticisms for the most part, as long as you don't throw name calling into the mix. I mean, come on, really? Name calling, people. Uh, we uh, we can talk about Jurgen Klinsmann some more if you want. This is, can be your forum. I I've said my piece on Klinsmann. I'm sort of done expressing my frustrations with Jurgen Klinsmann. Some people believe that he's got some long term program. That's fine. That's great. Let's hope that's the case because no matter what frustrations I might have and what frustrations I might express. The bottom line is he's not getting fired. He's not going anywhere. Sunil Gulati is pot committed. He's got all of that money in on Jurgen Klinsman. The man is going to take the United States to October 9th. He's going to play Mexico at the Rose Bowl. The chips will fall where they may, and we'll see what happens after that for this team. But it will all it'll ultimately be Jurgen Klinsman's team. Maybe what we should be focusing on, since Jurgen Klinsman is unlikely to go anywhere is just figuring out whether or not the pressure he is under is enough, because that's what he talks about all the time, right? I, I feel like I'm answering the bell, and everybody else who is levering, le- leveraging some leveraging, levying some criticism on Jurgen Klinsman is just answering the bell that he has himself rung. The bell that is, bring pressure to this soccer environment, because America is too low-key. We're all too laid back. We don't care enough. We don't put enough pressure on our players, and we don't put enough pressure on our coaches. Let's tie. Let's turn up the let's turn up the heat a little bit. Let's ratchet it up. Let's put some pressure. It does appear that uh, Michelle Platini has officially announced his candidacy to take over for Sepp Blatter next February in that special FIFA election. Whoop de doop de doo If you're on board with the Platini train, I don't know what to tell you. It's not going to be any different than what we saw out of Blatter, at least in terms of. Uh, the aimless, directionless leadership. Uh, certainly he's going to bow and kowtow to some of the bigger money pressures within the game. He's proven that as UEFA president. Uh, he's a man with some interesting ideas that don't always work out the way that he claims they will. Uh, he's got uh, what he uh, he rap he, he dramatically increased the number of teams to uh, partaking in uh, taking part in UEFA's Euro- uh, European Championships, which has Probably lowered the quality of the soccer overall. He has uh, instituted financial fair play, which has proven to be something of a red herring. That is more likely than not going to entrench the big money clubs, the established big money clubs, at the esp- expense of new money clubs who want to put, uh, who, uh, whose owners want to put money into their teams to improve their chances of competing on a high level. I mean that that seems to be where Michel Platini falls in the. Political spectrum that is FIFA. Ultimately, he is a creature of all of those big money interests. I, I, am I wrong about this one? Does anybody think that Platini is an actual reformer? That there's really going to be a change at the top at FIFA if Michel Platini is elected? And he's going to get elected because he has the power base. We know how this works. If you have the blocks necessary, you're going to get elected. He is. The odds on favorite it would take some out of the blue candidate who can unite Asia, Africa, and probably CONCACAF and the Caribbean nations to oust or to to win over Michelle Platini at the next election. That's what I would imagine needs to happen here. I did put I did put literally on my rundown for today and why I threw it in there at the end with Charlie Bowman's where's Precky. Hashtag, where's Precky? I I need to know where he is because I'm, again, I'm sort of worried that somebody lied to Precky, which I think is bad for the person who lied to Precky. And I'm also concerned about, you know, the guy is a good coach and he was doing good things at Sacramento Republic. And there was a very good chance that if that team got their opportunity to move up to MLS, and let's be fair about it, if it was all about earning it, they would have already been there. If and when that happens, then we would have had Preki back in MLS. He would have had an opportunity to coach in the highest level in this country again. This is a guy who did good things at Chivas US USA when nobody else was. Bob Bradley, preki That's the list. That's That's the whole list. He went to Toronto, was operating under a very difficult set of circumstances with leadership and management that did not know what they were doing. And I thought he acquitted himself relatively well. I think people who paid attention to those Toronto FC teams under Precky will tell you they were some of the better teams they've had in their history. And remember, this is a team that's never made the playoffs since entering the league in 2007. So it would be nice to know where Precky is. Let's go to Ray in Milwaukee. What's up, Ray? Hey,
1: Jason. How are you? Uh... I just like to ask you, uh, how did you feel about the coverage that Fox provided for
0: the, the Gold Cup? For the Gold Cup, uh, I don't. Have, I didn't have any issues. I mean, I'm I'm sort uh, of I'm sort of easily uh, easily satisfied. P- put the games on. There were a couple of times when uh, we had some shots that were kind of ridiculous. We had a. Solo shot. I, 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 I vaguely remember a solo shot of somebody for like an extended period of time while the game was actually happening. That bothered me a bit. Uh, I had a couple of missteps from some announcers. I, I think John Strong actually had a couple of mistakes in there that I wouldn't normally expect him to make. I'm not sure that's his fault or somebody else's fault. So, so there were some issues, but I, nothing that really raises to the level of a problem for me, Ray.
1: Well, you know, I I would just like to say that uh, it was
3: a little too much flipping
1: from back and forth. It wasn't constantly on one network at set time, even though there was kind of set time uh, set
3: up. Or, you know, and a lot of people don't have Fox Sports, too. Uh, So uh, the availability of uh, some of these games. Yeah, you know, that's not um, something
0: I had to deal with, Ray, but I absolutely understand. Anybody who had an issue. With the availability of Fox Sports 2 and being able to access all of these games, and it's going to be, we already know that the Bundesliga fans are up in arms over the likelihood that those games are going to be on Fox Sports 2 and Fox Soccer Plus, which is a thing people don't want to pay for anymore. I mean, we're at a point now in the development of soccer on television that the notion of paying for a dedicated channel that is just soccer and having to pay, what how much is Fox Soccer Plus, Trevor? Is it like 10 bucks a month? If it's something like, I mean, people just don't want to uh, pay that. We we pay ten bucks a month for uh, HBO Go, and that's everything. All right, that I got it. I
1: gotta go. Have a good
0: one. All right, Ray, Ray's gotta go. Ray's gotta run. Something big happened. Something big is going on with with uh, with Ray. All right, six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. I uh, Trevor says he doesn't know how much it costs because he gets you get Fox Soccer Plus for free. I get FS2. I get FS2 in HD. I have Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 and HD. I do not have Fox Soccer Plus because I'm not paying for Sox- Fox Soccer Plus. That's, that's not, it's, I don't feel that's necessary. Now, I have paid for, I have paid for various streaming options in the past. For Copa America, I paid for a streaming option. I felt, I mean, okay about that. Copa America isn't necessarily something I, I would uh, automatically ex- expect to be on American television. Although, I mean, it should be. Let's be honest about that. It should be on American television in HD for me to watch and everybody else for that matter. Why is Copa America not free for me? Not free, but part of my cable package. Why is that not a thing? You know, and sometimes you don't even realize what channels you have until you have them. And I, I don't know. I'm actually in a position now where I'm pretty much have everything DirecTV has to offer, and I'm not paying the bill, so I can't really, I can't really comment on this situation too much. I feel, I feel like I'm overstepping if I get kind of weird about the the TV channels and what's available, considering I'm not paying the bill. Six four six eight three two three nine zero nine. Call me up. Tell me where's Preki. Tell me what you think about this story we talked about with Charlie Bowman, and the U.S. women. It's very. It's a very interesting dynamic because you, it's essentially the men's game flipped on its head. It, the, in the men's game, the clubs have all the power. The clubs are suing national federations over injuries to players. They're suing FIFA. They're demanding compensation when these players go away, and everything flows from the club side. the The international game is important. The World Cup is the biggest event, but you, you always get the sense that the real power lies. With the clubs, because why? Because they, play, they pay the salaries of the players. The money that, that Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi make is not driven from their national team. It's driven from their clubs. So we are headed into a future where a lot of people will tell you it seems, and maybe not now, maybe not 10 years from now, maybe not 20 years from now, but at some point in the future, it seems likely that the international game may either go away or be replaced by something else, or we'll have some sort of consolidation of the club game, and it will force the international game to respond in some way. Well, something will happen, some dynamic change will happen, and the and the international game will suffer. And there's a lot of people will tell you in the modern world that the international game is not nearly the quality of the club game. Certainly at the top level, UEFA Champions League, Champions League, and the like. The, the 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 quality of soccer being played by Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United, Bayern Munich, PSG. Juventus is well far and above anything being played by Argentina, Germany, Brazil, et cetera, et cetera. That may not always be true, but there is that general sense. And there's certainly a lot of people now who are club over country. They bemoan the break. I mean, except for the World Cup, they really don't like the fact that we get a bunch of international games that stop the club game during the season. People value their club over their country or their allegiances to their country are fluid and they change from you know whoever's good they just enjoy the, the soccer they're not necessarily tied patriotically as the world shrinks and as the digital age makes it easier to access everything and less uh less important to tether yourself to a specific nationality and wave your flag people are becoming more club over country. That doesn't mean there's not a gigantic market for the international game. It just means that there is a shift happening. And on the women's side, it's the complete opposite. There is no developed women's game. Those clubs don't have any power. It's, it, everything flows from the international side. These are stars made because of what they do at the World Cup and at the Olympics. Abby Wombeck is a star because she scored a ton of goals for the United States women's national team. Carly Lloyd is a star because of what she did for the U.S. Women's National Team and scoring a hat-trick in the final and being one of the best et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Alex Morgan is a star for various reasons, including, but not limited to, her play for the U.S. Women's National Team. That's what gives her the platform to be the celebrity that she is, because she is an amazing player and she does it while wearing the colors of the U.S. Women's National Team. And I just, i I, I think it's a very interesting juxtaposition, not... Not that I can even draw any conclusions out of it, but you can see that when the when the international game is prioritized over the club game or has so much more influence or is so much more important than the club game, it slows the growth of that club game. And the, United, the, the United States may want, the U.S. Soccer Federation and Mexico and Canada to a certain extent, may want a professional women's soccer league to succeed in this country, but they're not going to promote that league and increase its influence at the expense of their national teams. Certainly, U.S. soccer is not going to do that with the U.S. women, who, while also being great and can win World Cups, are a cash cow. The U.S. women are going to go on this victory tour across the country, international game, international game, international game, in the middle of the NWSL playoffs this year. And they, they're going to do that because that's more important. Friendlies in full house stadiums making money for the federation making money for the players increasing their star power getting them on television that's all well way more important than playing a weekend game in front of 6500 at sky blue fc or the 8 to 10 or however many thousand uh, big big crowd they get for the Houston Dash or the Port- even the Portland Thorns who get great crowds the national team is So much more important that those club teams then suffer. And they don't have the money to compete. And they don't pay the salaries of the big-name players. So they will always lose out. It's it's just a very interesting situation. 646-832-3909. If you guys don't call in, we end the show. That's how that works. Where is Precky? Hit me up on Twitter. I want to know. Where is Precky? Lots of comments on Jurgen Klinsmann. I've been called... Uh, it's been said that my comments on him are comical. Perhaps you should consider development of young players more vital when World Cup is three years away. Again, I have a problem with prior to- prioritizing the World Cup over everything, as if the international, sorry, as if the confederations uh, tournament, the confederation cup, or hell, uh, Gold cup, your own confederation tournament's not supposed to matter. Somehow, uh, you should be able to do both. Not sure why Klinsmann can't. Uh, let's see. Daniel, the end goal for Jurgen Klinsmann and the U.S. national team is always a World Cup final win and his way, and his way on qualifying to World Cup. If Klinsmann has a World Cup qualifier to play off, then we should worry. So don't worry now, I guess. <clears throat> don't worry about losing to Jamaica. Don't worry about the finish in this Gold Cup. Don't worry about the lackluster play through the goal, through the uh, group stages. Don't worry about his dependence on players or his loyalty to players who showed up and performed poorly over the no- a number of matches. I mean, if the notion is that you stick with them until they come good, that's that's fine. But again, to do it within this tournament uh, and then at the end of it to sort of excuse away a bad performance or a bad finish because that's what you were doing seems very convenient. Jared says, I still don't understand how J- Jurgen Klinsman will help youth development. I don't see him coaching kids. The notion apparently is that uh, he brings through young players in the national team and in the national team setup. Uh, you do have Tom Ramos in charge at the U 20s. You have Richie Williams at the U 17s and these guys are supposed to be enacting his program. And maybe that's happening. Maybe that's, maybe that's happening. Uh, we've heard from coaches on this show who've said that he is enacting reforms that are uh, helping at the lower levels. Whether that's him directly or somebody acting on his behest, I don't know. I mean, it's we'll give him credit. He's a technical director. He does, you know, he's in charge. If there's things happening at the youth level that are improving that that structure, then he deserves credit for that. But that's not coaching the national team. That's a different thing, clearly. This is where the competi- the competing interest of those two jobs may come into play. That's why I'm frustrated. Because Jurgen Klinsmann has the ability to excuse away pretty much anything that happens under his watch, aside from not qualifying for a World Cup, which God forbid we get to that point, we're all going to panic, it'll be CON 1. We'll have to, you know, we'll have to blow up the whole system and start over, I guess. I don't know. There's a lot of endemic problems in soccer in the United States of America, but they've always been ones that we could overcome, at least on the top-level international game, at least in terms of our region, at least in terms of qualifying for the World Cup, at least in terms of some of these measuring sticks. And Now, suddenly, we don't have the ability to get over those anymore, and we have to sacrifice uh success in the gold cup on the altar of developing a pair of center backs i mean that that doesn't make sense to me alexi lawless has a question what is my definition of a technical director uh my te- my definition of a technical director would be an executive figure who oversees the um the general health of, uh, wow, this is difficult, the general health of programs related to the development of players from all the way at the very youngest ages of, that kids start playing up until U23s. I'd uh, say it that way. Um uh, talking about creating some sort of consistent uh, program, consistent ideals, consistent plan across all of those levels. Uh, directing coaches to focus on specific areas of the game, trying to shift emphasis, say emphasises. is that plural? Uh, trying to shift the emphasis from what has previously been the, uh, the American dependence on this thing and that thing and moving it to another place. I mean, I'm not even making a value judgment about that necessarily. I'm just saying that that seems to be what he's supposed to do. As technical director. Andrew on Twitter, talking point. Should MLS make bad defending a league strategy and become as high scoring a circus as possible? Woo! I like that idea, Andrew. Let's do that. Let's just let's just completely discount defending whatsoever. Let's just let's become the air divisi on steroids. Can we do that? Can we become that league? If we had a if we had five threes every weekend. Would that increase the popularity of MLS? No, of course, of course not. I mean, you can't do that. You can't. I mean, I, you know, it'd be, it sounds fun, Andrew, but really. Uh, Jared says maybe a setup like Major League B- Baseball scouting system is needed for MLS, and I think that what Jared is suggesting is that um, MLS go to a a pool scouting model, and I think there actually is. Some sort of shared scouting structure for MLS. Oh, we can get into that. I know there's stories out there on that, uh, on that issue. So there may be people who have some insight into, uh, into how that works. Last call for phone calls: 646-832-3909. If you have any input here, last second thoughts on Jurgen Klinsmann on uh, MLS defending. On the U.S. Women's National Team, and the return of the players to the NWSL. Uh, what else? On where is Preki? I feel like I'll, I feel like you should know where Preki is, Alexi. If you're listening to the show, where is Preki? All right. Last thing here, I'll, I'll hit before I get out of here. Daniel says, "So who is a better say who?" Is who better, technical director, Bruce Arena or Jurgen Klinsman, or is it incomparable? Uh, difficult, obviously, it's difficult because we're, we're still trying to determine how we're supposed to judge Jurgen Klinsman. That's still not clear. We're apparently not supposed to judge him on actual results. We're supposed to judge him on a program over time. He's had four years now. I guess he's supposed to get another four years before we're allowed to judge him. Now, I'm, I obviously, I'm, I'm building a bit of a straw man here based on, on Dan's, uh, Dan's tweet, but it, de- it certainly seems as though there's some feeling out there that Jurgen Klinsmann's uh, job is only to be evaluated after 2018, despite the fact he's been on the job for four years. All right, one more call. Robert Nellay, you're on the line, my friend.
1: Hey, good. Hey, good morning, friend. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little about LA Galaxy coming up in the next month, and you know, I know I was looking at the Western Conference Final, and we have like, a lot of teams that are up there, and they're all they're all close up, and then like you know, most of the teams in the West are because we have Champions League coming up, and I just I don't know who, who your your C C L expert is, but if you ever have an ex, uh how do you see them handling? CCL and MLS
0: play. Yeah, we we'll, You know what? We'll probably grab John Arnold at some point to talk about uh, to talk about that. Uh, I don't know exactly. I haven't looked. I, I know the groups are already out and all that stuff, Robert. I haven't looked at the schedule. CCL has been off my radar, so I apologize. I'll do some research. We'll check in on that. Look at how the Galaxy are going to have to handle that. Look, they've got the depth to do it. I mean, they they, they do. It's just whether or not Bruce prioritizes that tournament. Uh, trying to go win another MLS Cup. I mean, he's got he's got issues.
1: Yeah, well, just I was looking at it, and we have like the, our first two home games are at home before we have to go away to blah, blah, and like, and but in between we have like you know Seattle and RSL and Vancouver, and they also have CCL, so it's gonna be very interesting to win, and those teams have to go against each other, especially in the month of August. So it's gonna be very, and I see like you know them prioritizing it and then like you know all your teams moving up. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think I don't know if Dallas is going to be able to capitalize and run away with the West.
0: You don't know if they are? Is that what you said?
1: No, since uh, you, since Seattle, L.A., Vancouver are right, up there. Right, right, right. And they have CCL, Right. And they have to compete against each other. And then Dallas yeah. doesn't. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to use this to, you know, Right, make a gap and like, you know run away with the supporters. I mean,
0: it's possible. I, I have to look at you know I need to look at FC Dallas' schedule. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick. Because uh, when does when does CCL's play start?
1: Well, it starts next week, but that's for Seattle and Vancouver, and then LA plays the week after that.
0: Okay, okay. I'm just looking at I'm just looking at the upcoming schedule for FC Dallas very quickly because, as you said, they do have an advantage. They've got. They've got Chicago this weekend. Then they're actually off for for a week and they come back, uh, they host LA, Vancouver, FC, or Vancouver and Rail Salt Lake to close out August. And then, uh, Columbus away, New York City at home. This is actually pretty cushy for them in a lot of ways and they can take points off of Vancouver and LA in that stretch. Yeah, I just, uh,
1: I just, and also I want to see if, uh, I have his I just want to see how
0: Steven Gerrard going to Guatemala and see him play on a, on a crappy pitch. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Robbie Keane has had plenty of conversations with Steven Gerrard about what it's going to be like to go play in CCL. Robert, thanks. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank right. you. There goes Robert. Always talking Galaxy, Robert is talking. Uh, he's always talking Galaxy and uh, coach celebrations on the sideline, being on television. He didn't have an answer for where he's precky. All right, what? All right. Suddenly, you guys decide to call Roberto. You're my, uh, my man in Connecticut. What's up?
3: Hey, Jason. Um, I was speaking with Brian Scredda the other day, and he was talking about how uh, he believes that the United States won't beat Mexico in the um, at the Rose Bowl in October because of the, um, I guess the um, the lack of quality that the United States have compared to Mexico. What do you think has to be done? Uh, with this United States team having to go having, moving forward you know what changes do you think have to be made do you think uh, certain people should be called up who should be out Et cetera, et cetera. I,
0: well I mean look I, if I I don't know that this is going to work because I can't predict the future Roberto but if I if I was in charge of that game if they fired Jurgen Klinsen today and gave me the job first of all they would need to be committed to a psychiatric ward after that but if they did I would, I would, I would go with experienced guys. I, I don't know that I would play Matt Beasley necessarily, but I would certainly start Omar Gonzalez in that game. I would make sure that Michael Bradley's influence is not limited by playing him too high up the field. Uh, I would obviously you're going to start Clint Dempsey. Ah, uh, man, you know I, I I'm probably playing, I, I, I'm probably playing something relatively conservative sounding, but the point. Is that I want my team to be comfortable. I want them to understand their responsibilities. So if, look, if they, if they, if I talk to my team and they say, we, we, we work best in the diamond or we work best with a flat 442, then that's, you know, I'm going to listen to that. I'm starting Michael Bradley. I'm probably starting Kyle Beckerman, even though that's a little bit dodgy at this point. Um, I, I want Giassi's artist on the field, but I don't know if using him as a winger is the best use of him. I have Aaron Johansson. Ah, man. See, that's the thing. I, I, I don't, I'd have to look at it. I mean, really what I, what I think is most important here is putting the team out in a way that they know how to play, in a way they understand, with plenty of defensive help for, for center backs who, again, may not have played together a lot because Klinsmann he hasn't built, he hasn't brought um, the foundation to this game. I mean, if, if there was a foundation, they probably would have done better in the Gold Cup. So now in the in the Confederations Cup playoff, you have a determination to make. Do we change things up for the sake of changing thing up, things up because they didn't work in the Gold Cup? Or do we go to sort of, sort of some some established players in places? Alejandro Bedoya on the right, Fabian Johnson at left back. Okay, now I need a right back. Uh, maybe Brad Evans is playing right back for me because I trust him more. I mean, I, I think that the way to go in this game unfortunately because of what the, because of what klinsmann has done to this team is pretty conservative
3: do you think that the lack of rest heading into the match against panama that monday night maybe played a factor having qualification already been secured
0: i think that jürgen klinsmann overtrains his players and that that's a factor in tournaments
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that was the reason. I mean, you know, rest
0: rest is an obvious thing to point to, but I've heard from enough people that he over-trains. I mean, not just trains them and gets them fit, and now, okay, we're a well-oiled machine, but over-trains them. And, you know, I don't want to make excuses for anybody, but very smart soccer people have pointed out that several players on this team who are otherwise good players have failed to show up at their regular levels in tournaments in compact schedules because or in part of, in part because of the way Jurgen Clinton prepares his teams, which is train, 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 fitness, 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 fitness. Then they don't have, again, they don't have that base of understanding of how to play together to go win a game. And now they're overtrained and their legs are rubbery and crap. We're in trouble.
3: I think that's going to be probably a factor if he's going to continue that way against, um, against Mexico heading into the Mexico match since they're all going to be playing their, um, in their respective leagues. That's going to be a factor now.
0: Yeah, I mean, hopefully he doesn't have an opportunity to overtrain them ahead of that game. I mean, let's just <laughs> let's just hope that doesn't happen. You know what I'm saying? Like the, yeah. the, the And again, the point is about extended camps. So it's about the World Cup last year, the Gold Cup this year, not necessarily about these one-off games or these two-game windows where he has them for three days. There's only so much you can do in three days. And hopefully they are training on some level over tactics, really talking about, they don't have to be in training doing tactics, they can be in meetings doing tactics, but hopefully they're at least talking about those things on some level. So, you know, if this is a one-off game in October, you've got the MLS players who are pushing towards the end of the season, uh, qualification for the playoffs, you've got the European players, European-based players who are, already into their campaign a couple of months, this should be a good window for fitness to not be a factor for the United States. They should be ready to go. Then it's just a matter exactly. of whether or not... It's just a matter of whether or not Klinsman puts them in position to win based on the lineup and the formation and the, and the tactics. Yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. I think they should um, also, if they do win that match, they should probably take it a little bit easier in the World Qualifying Match considering the, the teams that they would be facing.
0: Possibly. Possibly. I mean, again, that November date uh, november twenty third is the first uh game of the fourth round of qualifying and they're going to face the winner of Saint Vincent and the Grenadines and Aruba. So very likely a, a sort of you know a pushover team and maybe they do maybe he does have an opportunity to bring in and cycle through some of these young players that were supposed to be preparing for 2018.
3: How about that, Massachusetts? He play at Bush Stadium. That's yes, it good.
0: is. That's going to be interesting. Yes, it is. It's going to be on a baseball fe- venue. That's the- there's probably nothing in this world that offends me more than soccer on a baseball stadium field, but uh, whatever, you know? The people of St. Louis will have a good time. I'm sure they'll show up in big numbers. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll help them get an MLS team. I wouldn't be surprised if they played one
3: in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> oh,
0: God. I hope that doesn't happen. There was rumors of a U.S. women's game there. I hope that doesn't happen either. Uh, Roberto, i got to run. Appreciate the call, man.
3: Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Go.
0: Roberto in Connecticut, that's going to close us out on a Tuesday. Thank you very much for listening to Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you to Producer Trevor for producing, Trevor for producing some pretty awesome images of uh, where's Cause where is Precky. Because where is Precky? Nobody knows where Precky is. Where is Precky? Go to Soccer Morning. Sorry. Go to WorldSoccerTalk.com. No, that's not right. Go to Backheel.com slash store to buy a mug. Go to WorldSoccerTalk.com for a bunch of other stuff and the show. Go to Instagram and follow Soccer Morning on Instagram because that's a thing now, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. on every cursive letter.
1: Tell me why the hell no one is here. Tell me what to do to make it all feel better.